And it's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out... What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking, like, a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. You should have just heard our new intro. I had sent that to Robbie a couple days ago. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. It's a little it's a little bit goofy, but especially after this last week, I felt like we might need a little pick-me-up. Yeah, we definitely needed a pick-me-up, and there's a couple inside jokes that I think we can explain over time to, to some people, even some that I forgot about, that you had to remind me what they were from. One from your wedding, which I thought was was pretty funny, So, uh, or after your wedding, I should say, that we were we were talking about, but uh, you know, it, we needed a pick-me-up, so I like it. Yeah. Virginia Tech lost to Wake Forest 23-16, to and every year, there's at least one game that makes us feel very foolish, and I think this was that game. Why don't you give us a cheers and kick us off? Cheers to new beginnings. We did it last year after the Duke game. We got to do it now after the Wake Forest game. Obviously, those two are not comparable. I will also say my real cheers, I think, should be to Garbit. It sounds like he's coming back after a lot of you know, personal stuff that was going on in his life. None of our business, but I'm just happy that he's back. He's been back in school for a bit. Now it sounds like he's practicing with the team. And, you know, I'm always happy happy when Hokey fans and Hokey alike can all round around somebody and and really get excited about him. So I'm just I'm just excited that he's he's back practicing with the team, doing something that we know he loves. So I think that's probably the biggest cheers and let's reset and move forward on the season. Cheers. Yeah. I said, I thought this team led by hooker was different. It felt different, but it's not different. (laughs) We are still prone. I guess I should say susceptible to losing focus and that's kind of what this week was all about, if you ask me. I think that that's true. I, I put out, I took over our Twitter account and I put out some images that I thought really displayed the blocking and some of the things that happened with this team. I don't think the team is that much different today than it was before the loss to, to Wake Forest. But the team's being critical of themselves. We're allowed to judge what the performance was and it just wasn't a good performance. So I, it doesn't take away from my belief in the players, the team, but I will say we're going to bring up some stuff that may not make people happy on this podcast with respect, but it's not to be demeaning or anything like that. It's just to be factual on what happened against Wake Forest, which I think 
all of the players and the coaches would say to themselves. Yeah, and none of that's anything different than we would normally do. In the news and notes, we have the AP poll. Virginia Tech dropped out completely. And when I say completely, I mean not a single receiving vote, which seems a, a little bit on the harsh side. A little <laughs> L- bit. Losing a second road game. Those are the only two games we lost is two games on the road. But we do have two losses and only three wins. There are four ACC teams ranked this week. That's Clemson at one, Notre Dame at four, Miami at 12, and UNC at 15. NC State also dropped out after losing to UNC. There are seven non-Power 5 teams ranked. <laughs> that is yeah. a lot. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot. And I'm not surprised that we didn't have any votes because once people start seeing the Big Ten coming back, mm-hmm. I think it's it, we are being a little bit overshadowed by the fact that a lot of voters were not taking into account those teams some people were voting them in, some people were not, and True. now we're seeing the full the full result of that. And what I think also is that the Pac-12 teams are even in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like USC is at 21. Yep. You've got I think Oregon at 14, so it's <laughs> there are literally all the teams now that can be ranked are and so yeah. No votes for the Hokies. We're 20th in Sagarin. And 21st in the S&P still. That's the exact same rating as we had last week. Uh, so not as not as much of a hit to that. In fact, in a lot of ways, we performed better than Wake Forest, uh, but we couldn't pull out the win. And Bill's formula accounts for that. Yeah, and I would add to that, think about this. Number 22 offensively, number 33 defensively, 32 on special teams. As balanced as you could uh, imagine it being, we always asked for balance, and now we have it. Yeah, and it didn't really seem like we'd be that balanced. I mean, the defense at only 33, um, and after I dug into this game a little bit too, you know, they they did have a little bit of a bounce back and, and, and played strongly. Uh, and we'll get into that and break it down in a minute. Let me just round out these rankings. 19th in the FPI, still pretty high up there. And I think I already said 20th and Sagarin. Sagarin has us as the 16th ranked strength of schedule also, which is pretty high. I don't I don't think our schedule has been that difficult, but uh, whatever. Thought I'd bring it up. Uh, as far as the player notes go, we didn't have any last-minute scratches, though Waller did not participate in the game. Hopefully we'll have him next week against Louisville, but we'll see. Strong and Murray started at corner. We had Jalen Griffin getting the start at defensive end over Reed. And maybe that was just a situational thing, but Griffin started the game. Diablo and Taylor started at safety again. You mentioned Garbett coming back with the team. That was that was big. And we'll be missing Hewitt for the first half of next week because of the targeting call. And I think that rounds out the player updates, but that pretty much rounds out all my news and notes. Did you have anything else? I did. So Khalil Herbert still leads the nation in all-purpose yards with, and this is not about the game because we're going to talk about the more specific things. He's at almost 1,100 yards, 218 yards per game, fourth in the nation still in rushing yards after what would be for a normal running rush, running back a good performance. <laughs> yeah. And we're looking at it thinking, oh man, it could have, could have been better. Uh, he's behind somebody that we'll talk about, Hawkins for Louisville, who has 693 yards, and he's third in the nation in rushing yards per game was kind of my first note. My second note, and you and I talked about this in our preview to the season, and now there's, I think, enough 
statistical evidence to talk about this. Home teams are doing very, very well in conference games this season. The stats are off the charts. Usually there is a negligible difference in home teams and in their actual performance in this year. Before the season started, I think you remember, or if not, I'll go back and get the audio. I talked about how stupid it was that people thought there wouldn't be a home field advantage this year. There absolutely is. People are not traveling. Granted, that doesn't set up well necessarily for the Hokies, (laughs) but it's, it's something to take into account when you're looking at games and you're looking at performance right now with everything going on with COVID, it's not easy to travel. So I just put that out there as a news and note. Yeah, and David Teal actually had a good tweet about that. He pointed out that home teams are 27 and 11 in ACC play so far, and that this past Saturday, when we lost to Wake, home teams went six and one. <laughs> yes. So it, it's it's it is interesting because normally, and I have normally as from 2015 to 2019, they're only 539, so just a little bit over 500 at home. That's right. But this year they're. They're kind of blowing that percentage out of the water. It uh, doesn't mean you can't win on the road. 11 teams have won on the road, but it, it's more difficult, it seems like, or at least it's playing that way for now. And it is interesting when we get to the lines later, I think four of the five ACC matchups are road favorites. That's right. So that, that, that's something to think about too. If you want to make some money this weekend, there's a, there's an opportunity. <laughs> well, let's get into the game recap On their opening drive, Wake went 92 yards and scored a touchdown on a nine-yard run by QB Sam Hartman. We attempted a field goal and missed. They added a field goal, and it was 10-0 after the first quarter. We kicked our own field goal early in the second to make it 10-3, and shortly thereafter tied it up on the beautiful TD to Mitchell. Before the half, though, Wake put together a 17-play, 79-yard drive, took up a ton of time, they converted multiple fourth downs, and they scored on a demoralizing TD run by Walker. Oh, the one where 12 people got dragged into the end zone? Is that <laughs> yeah. the one you're referring to? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that drive and that final run were just so brutal, uh, but it didn't break our spirits. So the Hokies went right down the field on some excellent runs and passes by Hooker, and they had a third and 10 at the 15-yard line, and that's when <laughs> disaster struck. Hendon threw an INT, but it was off a tipped ball off the hands of Caleb Smith, and that was just erased at least three points and maybe seven. And again, that, that was a time that this team could have folded. And, and we saw in the second half that they didn't do that. But it was 17 to 10 at the half. It was actually at the 10 to 20 when it, in the third quarter, not to jump ahead. But I had the same no, thought. No, that's fine. Wake 10. added the field goal to make it 20 to 10. Yeah, I had the same thought. It didn't look like a 20 to 10 game at that point. Wake seemed like... They should be up by two touchdowns or more. It felt like in that game, the momentum. And I'll get back to some of the momentum things that happened early in the first and second quarter that kind of bothered me. But we'll, we'll get there in our, our recap. Then we exchanged field goals to make it 23-13. to 13. We kicked one more after missing our second of the day and made it 23-16. We tried the onside kick, no dice there. And there was a last-ditch effort. Uh, and it ended in one more interception, the third of the day for Anderson. And Wake won 23-16. I thought the story of the game were the turnovers, the penalties, and Hooker's what I'll call bad day. I, I think that's all fair. I think collectively, 
Hooker had a bad day. The penalties we'll get into because I have a, quite a few thoughts on there, specifically for the defense, who actually had a, a decent day. Wake Forest looked like a really good offense, and they managed to hold them to 23 points. And that those were the two big ones that bothered me. The, the missed kicks... Those don't really bother me, like whatsoever. I mean, we have an amazing field goal kicker in, in Johnson. He's there he's was some odd. long. There was a long one in there at least. Right? Yeah, they were no, both. Two, long, I, I think, think two long ones. Yeah. So those those don't do anything. So I think you I think you have the story right. I think the other part of the story that might be missing from that is Wake came out to win this game, and we looked like we came out not to lose this game. But there yeah. are some specific points in the game that I'll hit on when we get into the real details here. Yeah, we just couldn't avoid the letdown. The letdown that we mentioned that could happen, that we saw. I mean, it was so... It really was a throwback to that Syracuse game. The the stakes weren't quite as high in terms of the spread. Like, we weren't 19-point favorites, but we were just over 10. And we said we didn't really know this Wake team very well. We only had the two quote-unquote, real data points against NC State and UVA, and their defense had played very differently in those two games. But their D proved to be much better than their stats. And you alluded to it. This came down to us playing poorly and executing poorly and undisciplined, more so than I thought it was Wake winning the game. I couldn't agree with that more. The, the defense did what they should be what they're capable of right now. We are not as deep as we'd like to be. We're not going to be the old school defense until we develop into it or we get the players into the system. I thought they had a remarkable day and individual players and individual plays really let this game, let this game go. It was a seven point game at the end of, of all of this. And it, that that's a testament in some ways to the team of them actually just caring enough to keep grinding and grinding in the game because the way I saw it all play out when it was actually happening. And it was funny. A lot of people came out to message boards, Twitter afterwards that didn't get to see the game because evidently we have no idea how to put things on a network that people can actually watch football games <laughs> and said, with everything I saw through Twitter or message boards, it sounded atrocious. And then I watched the game and it wasn't that bad. But if you watch, if you felt it during the time, it did not feel like a game that was going to end up 23-16. People were, were freaking, definitely freaking out. I, I was able to watch the game on my phone. I got like a Xfinity login from my mother-in-law. So I was able to watch some of it on, on my phone at a picnic. Uh, but then I watched the condensed game today on YouTube and read a bunch and, you know, went through the uh, the plays on the game log and everything. And it, it wasn't that bad. Like, it, it was not good. I don't want I don't want to say that. But, like, I came away from my, like, deep dive feeling much better than I did at, you know, the whistle at the end of the game. I, I just, after you dig in a little bit more it really comes down to the fact that Wake schemed us up pretty well, you know, as far as our offense goes. They were able to do some things to Hooker uh, that kept them off balance. But we did try and try and try again. Even though we kept failing, we we kept trying, but we could just never grab the momentum. And that was was really, if we could have just had 
one more momentum play, I feel like the tide would have turned in that game and we just couldn't get it. And the announcers brought it up a bunch of times. They kept saying, well, it feels like Virginia Tech's starting to get their momentum. It feels like it's starting to come. It just never came full circle. And there's some specific players on the team that deserve some scrutiny, quite frankly. And that's on the defensive side of the ball and a little bit on the offensive side of the ball. I think we can hop into the details of it, but the most frustrating point, and since we're still doing the high level on this game, is I walked away from that game thinking that was a that was a W. That absolutely could have been a W with some smarter plays. So winnable. no stupid, it's so absolutely winnable. And also by some of the effort people put in, the stops by the defense on a lot of third downs and things like that. It was absolutely a winnable game that we just made some really bad mistakes. And and I'm not going to say throw it away because that's disparaging, but we lost the game because of our own undoing, not because necessarily Wake was better than us. They schemed extremely well and a credit to them for it, just like you said. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, you know, people were kind of going nuts online. And I'm not trying to excuse myself, but I did only, I think I put out like maybe one or two tweets after the game. And the main one was just that when we get a veteran team, these kinds of losses won't happen, which was obviously sarcastic because we do have a veteran team. And we thought we might not have this problem with our coach entrenched and a lot of older players within his culture. It was a unique off season. So maybe that had something to do with this. Um, but a lot of guys have been in and out of lineups and practice all over the country. So I, I don't want to use that as an excuse. This is a veteran team with a lot of senior players, a lot of junior players, and this many mistakes and this much uh, poor execution shouldn't shouldn't happen. But I would say in a day when they played horrible, they still did their best to keep it close. <laughs> I would agree with that. Absolutely. But in- except for a couple plays and a few players, but let's just hop right into the offense yeah. and the defense sure. and what happened because there there are some things, in particular I, on the offense, the offensive line, well, I'm trying to negate this discussion around, I don't think this was necessarily a running back thing. I I'm more worried about what we have at wide receiver at this point. Hooker having a bad day, as you put it, and I have, plenty of stats to to back that up. And then I was just I was just really confused by the way the offensive line played in this game outside of Basham. We all know that guy's a freak, okay? Yeah. He's going to get into the backfield. He's going to disrupt. He's going to be able to tackle people from behind. I don't know if this is necessarily a offensive line thing because they were loading the box. So I kind of wiped that off the table. I'm more concerned with what's happening with Hooker and the wide receivers in the past game. So that's what I want to jump into when we go through the offset. Off, sure, I'll just comment on the O-line quickly. It was their worst game of the season, yeah. without a doubt. It, it looked like last year's offensive line at times. Um, they gave up three sacks, six tackles for loss, and they put a lot of pressure on us, especially up the middle. And I don't know what was going on exactly. I know you said they stacked the box, and... Wake had brought back a lot of guys on the D-line, and we hadn't seen them play at a super high level 
previously in the season. But in this game, they brought it. And we and this is something they were capable of. And unfortunately, it happened against us. And the guys in the middle up front, like, Hoffman's got to be better, man. Especially when the focus is on going to be on the run game the rest of the season. Like, that, that needs to step up. But why don't we hop into the quarterback stuff that you wanted to get to? I'll caveat everything I'm about to say with Hooker is the quarterback. Believe in Hooker. He's he is absolutely the quarterback, but that doesn't mean you don't get to judge a bad game. So we were dared to pass the ball and we just couldn't. He did nice work on the ground. He scrambled for a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have. But even during that, with 100 yards on the ground, he made a, a few bad reads. And you probably saw him if you watched the game again. I watched it twice afterwards, which was painful <laughs> as hell. But he had 10, 15 yard runs that were open that he he gave to Herbert that I think he could have taken. I don't know. Maybe those were design runs. They didn't look like it because he was looked like he was reading defensive ends and things along those lines. And it it was it was bad. It wasn't just the interceptions, and I'll get into those in a second, but bad passes. He wasn't getting through his progressions on a lot of them. You could see he was rushing. Part of that was because the, the Wake Forest, and I'll bring this back to the offensive line, was getting some pressure and forcing him to skip reads and just kind of launch the ball out there. You had just the wide-open Robinson pass that he threw into the dirt, absolutely wide. The only worst part of that is that he had, I think it was Trey Turner was wide open on the other side of the field that would have been for a touchdown on that pass. There was just uh, so much weird stuff that was going on in his passing game that it almost it almost didn't make sense. It looked like a totally different quarterback than I'm accustomed to because you and I have always said, and you in particular have always said, which I believe, Hooker doesn't really get rattled. He's usually pretty calm. He looked he looked rattled in this game. He looked rattled and yeah. uncomfortable. And not that I don't want to go against what I said. I'm not I'm not sure if rattled is the way to put it, but he looked they were fooling him. I mean, they did a really good job of keeping him off balance. And the first INT was the most harmful, but it was tipped. And other than the ones where he's like throwing him into the ground, um, you know, he had some nice throws. But yeah, they were doing stuff where he was missing the wide open guy or not even looking at him and then throwing into the dirt at another guy. And so like he was definitely kept off balance. Maybe pressing is a better word. I'm not exactly sure. Like he still would come out and make some good plays, but then he would have like a head scratching play. So it didn't, I don't know what you want to call it, but yeah, he, he played his worst game from a QBR standpoint of his career. And his second worst start of his career was against wake last year. So I think there is obviously something that Dave Clawson is doing in his defense that keeps Hooker off balance. And it worked like a charm for them. The 100 passer rating was also the worst of Hooker's starts. Um, and and I said I'd defend my praise, you know, like rattled or not rattled, he didn't play well. Yeah. Um, the throw on that interception where it was tipped, it wasn't perfect. So, yeah, you could it was put that bad. on him, I guess. I'm, everybody's giving him a, a shakeaway on that one. It was far out of reach. And yeah. the worst place that you want to put it, if he threw it at the feet, then it would have been better than throwing it up that high. And that's just sh- that's just not reading the field because the the safety was right there. 
like he was right there, like the worst place. It basically, if it wasn't tipped, it still would have gone into the guy's arms. I it, that was just frustrating. And then two of the passes, he threw two to Mitchell that both one brought Mitchell out of bounds, the other one brought Mitchell out of bounds. Then he threw the long pass to Trey Turner that literally skied over his head, the over on the right hand side near the end zone. It wasn't even close. It it was no, I'm not being mean here. I'm just saying it was a it was a really really bad day passing. Yeah. Only two completions of more than 20 yards and neither were particularly long passes in the air. Yeah. <laughs> they they were actually short. Um and you actually you called me midweek about our wide receivers and about Hendon. Yes. And you also broke down all these stats and when you said to me about his passes over 20 yards, what do you say he didn't have a single one? So in the air? I what happened was and this is a make culpa for our podcast because I kind of rushed through my notes. I didn't think through it well enough. And then I started listening to a lot of national podcasts. Maybe this is pontificating, but everybody can deal with it. So I started listening to all these podcasts about how much the game has changed and how much you have to have a pass threat. And even as good as your run is going to be, you still have to have some sort of pass threat. And then I woke up in the middle of the night and then I called you the next day after having this, and I, I said, man, if people just shut down the run, which was nothing crazy, French has talked about it, all those sorts of things, but I just had this really bad feeling. So I called you and I said, man, I think we missed something on the podcast. If they really shut down the run in comparison, it was still you know a decent running day. I mean, 100 yards for Hooker and 68 or whatever it was for, for Herbert. But if they shut that down, that's going to be really problematic. And what do we have? And then after the after the game, I was like, well, that's what happened. So then I went to the stats, which I log. And my stats are always how long is the pass, not how long is the pass with the run afterwards, which is mm-hmm, the only stats mm-hmm. that you can get. The pass in the air. The pass in the air to how many yards it actually hits on the ground. And I have to go back and rewatch and see exactly where it touches the wide receiver's hands. Hooker has seven passes longer than 20 yards. He's completed zero. Exactly zero passes. This year, in this year, in the air for twenty yards. Or How whatever. many last year did he complete over twenty yards? Uh, he went ten for twenty-seven. Okay. So even if he's going to catch up to that, he has to basically he needs to go ten of twenty. Yeah, he has to go ten <laughs> of twenty for he has to have fifty percent completion passes percentage. So there's something off, and I think it has as much to do with the wide receivers. His first nine passes. Four went to Robinson, four went to Mitchell, one went to Herbert. That's three players, and one of them's our running back. It started to get a little bit more dispersed after that, but there's something that's happening that we need to fix between the wide receivers and the quarterback right now. That's it. Yeah. The drop back passing just isn't his strength, and he didn't have an offseason to develop it. And it could be down the road, but right now we know that we need to build it off the run game. He needs to run the football for us to be successful and pass off of that. And the wide receivers lack of depth and lack of talent has shown up and it showed up in this one. I know Trey had a little bit better of a day. He went five receptions for 61 yards, but that's his best day of the season. And two years ago, 
we would have never said that was a great day for Trey Turner. We would have expected that he'd be his best game of the season would be better than that through through five games. Um, and he's battled injury now for a couple of years, yep. and he's battling it in this season, and he's hardly practiced. So I don't know what to expect from him. I think Tavion's a really good player, yep. but he's one player. I think Mitchell is a really good receiver, but guess what? He's a tight end, so he can't he can't beat people and get separation all the time. You know, we need to scheme up that separation for Mitchell, and you can only do that a few times a game. And yeah, it did work in this game once when the one mistake that Wake Forest made, essentially. Yeah, that was right. And it was it was wide open, by the way. <laughs> so, and Robinson and Mitchell, just to finish that off, because I, I decided to go stat heavy this week, so I'll apologize to everybody. But they are 50% of our targets. Of every pass that's been thrown, 50% of our targets from Hooker have been either Robinson or Mitchell. Guess what? Their completion percentages to each of those, Robinson, 50% to Robinson, 60% to Mitchell. If those are our two best wide receivers and you got a yeah, 50% and a 60% completion percentage to those two, we're just we're just in for trouble. I will say Mitchell's yards after catch are like 13 yards after catch. So he's obviously catching him in space. There's a lot more production there than just the numbers, but mm-hmm. they're... We need to find a way to get some depth or scheme or find a way for these guys to get separation. Either they need to find a way to get separation or the coaches need to find a way to scheme to get them separation. And I I think Fuente talked about the same thing during his presser. The team still ran for 210 yards. It was a far cry from my uh, hashtag 400 but we we got halfway there. Yeah. Maybe maybe next week. Uh, but no, the, seriously, the, the run game on a bad day still ran for 210 yards. That's right. And so if that is kind of the low point, other than when we go up against Clemson, that's, that's nice to see. Because we pretty much couldn't have played worse offensively, and we still got 200 yards. Herbert... Uh, he missed that 100 yards, as you said, but he still had 64 and then 39 receiving. So he went over 100 yards from scrimmage on a bad day. Yep. Uh, and the offense as a whole, I guess, is not elite. I said last week it was bordering on elite. Well, we took a nosedive in those <laughs> elite or not elite rankings. 0 for 4 on getting TDs when in the red zone. Yes. We kicked two field goals, but 0 for 4 on getting TDs. Um, the 16 points on offense, that's just... That's a kick in the dick, man. That yeah, that's <laughs> that is after getting forty two the first few games, and then you you come out and get sixteen. No, that's not that's not good. I'll say that Herbert had I think it was about a twenty twenty four yard run that got called back for offensive holding. I think there was another one Mitchell was holding on, so his yards were actually a lot higher for what and the Mitchell hold on the left hand side on his run. Didn't, he didn't even need to hold him. The, the Herbert had that in the bag. He didn't need anybody to hold. You yeah. could, and so that was frustrating. We needed to finish in the red zone. We we settled for a couple field goals. We threw ints. The the red zone offense just it just it just failed us in that game, and it was it was really hard to watch. And that's why I come back to we had every opportunity to really win this game. It, we could have scored. 42 points in that game. And I really wouldn't be that shocked to have seen it. And we kind of failed ourselves. Uh, yeah. The weak defense just came to play. Let's yeah. get into our defense quickly and then, and yeah. then move on to the Louisville game. 
they had a solid day. Uh, it was pretty good on all but two drives. The two touchdowns, the 92 yards, first drive for Wake, and the 75-yard touchdown, which was the last drive of the first half. Uh, that was 149 of their 316 yards came on two drives. Yep. We had 10 tackles for loss, three sacks, only gave up the 316. We were good on third down. I mean, Wake only converted three of 14 on third down. The problem was we gave up three fourth down conversions, and we just couldn't answer offensively. So it 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 this they played good enough to win. The defense really did play good enough to win. If you only have two bad drives, you should win the game. Uh, but that's just not what we needed. The old school tech defense to basically win it for us with a touchdown on this one. Yeah, I mean we struggled in the first half on the defensive side. There's no doubt about it. But the second half they played very very well. We had we joked about the you know Walker dragging five VT players into the goal line, and there was no offensive line pushing him from behind because I watched that a few times. The, he we got we got kind of dragged. What made me even more frustrating was watching Strong and Murray on that play on the replay. We're just sitting in the end zone like somebody else is going to make the tackle. And then it happened later. Yeah, admittedly, I thought someone was going to make the tackle. <laughs> I thought he went down like two different times, and then he's still going. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not great. Tisdale had a rough day as well. He he seemed to be walking on quite a few plays, not really that into it. I will say on the positive side, Ashby, two tackles for a loss. He looked like he started to play better. I know he got burned. Yeah, that sack was was nice by him. He he basically threw the running back aside and, yep. and took down the quarterback. Yeah, and I know he got burnt a bit on the outside. Barno had had three tackles for a loss. They had nine total. It was – the defense was other than two things. The Hewitt situation makes me infuriated, so I don't really want to talk about it much because it wasn't just – the targeting, which whatever. Some people agree with it. Some people don't. I don't necessarily agree with it, but whatever. There's nothing you can do about a bad targeting call. Yeah, but then the slamming of the helmet, which cost us another 15 yards, and then the Pollard mistake was absolutely stupid. It was completely dumb where he pushes... It it was dumb, but it also wasn't that bad. It wasn't, but it just wasn't necessary. Like No, it wasn't. Our necessary. defensive players at some times were more interested, and if you look, at, especially on the right-hand side or the left-hand side of our offense, a lot of times we were just looking to hit people, not hit the right people. There was times that we were hitting like a blocker instead of hitting the guy with the ball like that was actually running it. So it just, it just it was not a cohesive, smart, football game it was not decisive it was not calm down let's they i said this to you i said it to joe and this is how i'll wrap up a lot of my rants and i'm not ranting about the team i'm just it's frustrating i think good teams play methodical and bad teams play emotional i honestly believe that that those are the two and we've talked about that on the podcast before play methodical and if the scoreboard shows you got more points that's the middle finger to everybody in the stands, everybody on the field, whatever the case may be. When you play too emotional, and we did at that game, there were a lot of chippiness. There was a lot of fights. There was a lot of put. There was stuff that didn't get called in that game. We let Wake Forest get to our head very early in that game, and I think that derailed what we could have done. Well, look at three out of four of our last losses. 
UVA, Kentucky, and this Wake game, those all have one thing in common. Our emotions were not in check in the, in, in any of those games, and it cost us, in, in my opinion. Uh, to wrap up the defense for me, uh, I want to endorse your Barno. I mean, he he's starting to look really good. He leads the team with eight tackles for loss on the year and leads the team with three and a half sacks. Justice Reed played a bit better this game. He got a half sack in a hurry. We need him to get turned back on. Not sure if he's dealing with a little bit of a nagging injury. David Hale put out the stat that defensive line is 11th in the country in sack rate. We have a 9% sack rate uh, when not blitzing, right? Yeah. That was That's what it was. When it's not and a so force blitz. Th- yeah, like an yes. actual, yeah. So front four pressure we're 11th in the country and hopefully we can build on that because Louisville's offensive line is suspect for sure. And we did well. I I thought we'd get a few sacks in this game. We got three sacks on the wake offensive line. They only passed the ball 17 times or something. So three sacks in 17 attempts is, is pretty darn good. Uh, I I do want to put the caveat out there with regard to how the defense played that I don't believe the wake offense to be very good. I know people have said it. I know TSL said it a few times, but the data just doesn't back it up. They're, they're 55th in points per drive offensively, and that's in FBS versus FBS games. And they're 79th offensively in the SP+. Plus. Yeah. So, and I know that's out of 127, yeah. but they're not a good offense. No. So they're, the they're 316, just, they're fast. this is what the defense should do. They're fast and they're unique. I mean, that delayed mesh point really screws you up. I mean, that is it's tough but I agree with you. They are not that good. I do think some of their run plays are very difficult on the defensive line and the linebackers making their gap fits and getting into the right place. But you're right. They, they are not, they are not. And and what I'm, what I'll say is that that's not to poke at our defense. That's just to say that 316 yards, 10 tackles for loss, three sacks, 23 points, like that's what this team should do to this wake offense, and that's what they did do. That's right. So they deserve a pat on the back for doing what they should do. That's right. Uh, special teams wise, we did the fake punt that was ballsy in our own territory, down ten. Fuente trying to grab some momentum, and it worked, but we didn't get the payoff from that. Yep. But I do like when he is ballsy like that, and that'll wrap up our Wake Forest analysis. Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor. Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Downtown Crown is located in Gaithersburg, right where 270 and 370 meet. It's a fantastic store, but it's not just a store. They have a full bar inside, taps, an incredible beer selection, and then they have outdoor seating as well. Dominion Wine and Beer is located in Falls Church, right on Broad Street, and it also has a fantastic outdoor setup and a really great selection of craft cans, craft bottles inside, as well as wine, if that's what you're into. We don't talk about the wine much, but they have a fantastic wine selection at both these places as well. We might have to do an episode where we bring on I Can't Judge Wine for the life of me, but I think we might have to get some people. Maybe we'll do that with the Rash and have him come on and talk about wine because he he could definitely do it. He knows he knows his stuff about wine, that's for sure. And so, yeah, maybe we'll have to do a uh, a wine episode. Maybe when we play UVA, <laughs> wine and cheese. Yeah, wine, Zima, and cheese. It'll be perfect. <laughs> but yeah, make sure to follow Downtown Crown on Instagram, on Twitter. Same thing for Dominion. They do a great job of posting 
all the new releases they get, anything that's kind of interesting or something they just got from a distributor, they usually post it to their feeds. They'll send you the pictures so you can find the cans when you come into the store. It's actually really well done on their part. Uh, so yeah, make sure to follow them on there, any social media, and you can do curbside pickup, order online. Uh, they, they are still taking care of you COVID-wise because the cases are going up. And as the as the months go on, they're going to make sure that they can get you the booze you need to get through it. <laughs> That's right. Wear your mask. So Robbie. And then uh, and they will take care of you. That's it. If you want to go in, wear your mask and they will take care of you. If you want to deliver it at home, they'll take care of you. Right now, Robbie, I need to know what you're drinking. I'm going to have to turn this one around on you and you already know why, because I went to the store and I'll get to my story in a second. So why don't, why don't you kick us off with what the episode was supposed to be around? Yeah. So we normally do a pumpkin beer episode in October. So I texted Robbie yesterday and I, and I probably should have texted him a few days earlier because I like to give him the heads up on what I'm thinking, but I said, Hey, let's do pumpkin beers tomorrow. Cause October is just about to be over and we haven't done it yet. Yep even though I've had a couple on the podcast already. And he's like, all right, that sounds good. And he texted me a little bit ago saying he wasn't able to obtain it, but he'll get into that. I am drinking a pumpkin beer. I'm drinking the Shafley Pumpkin Ale. Very simple. And I never know if I'm saying Shafley or Shafley right, but you've probably seen it in the stores. It's a popular beer. They make a good Christmas ale as well. That's right. Their pumpkin is really good. And I don't think I'd had it in a couple years, but... It's a little bit sweeter than some of the other ones. It's brewed with all the same spices, cinnamon, nutmeg, and clove. Uh, but it's extremely dark. Like, it's almost like a brown ale. Uh, but not too syrupy, even though it's 8% alcohol. There's a little bit of a syrupiness to it, but it's not bad. And I would definitely recommend this pumpkin beer, especially with the pu- the punch that it's packing, 8%. Yeah, I'd recommend it because it tastes fantastic. Robbie, what are you having? So I had to pivot because I went to the beer store today after work and before the podcast, and I was told that a local beer shop, and I don't want to, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but one of my local favorite beer shops said, we've been out of pumpkin beers for a week. I was walking around all these out. This wasn't Dominion Wine and Beer or Downtown Crown. Oh, no, absolutely (laughs) not. Uh, They would probably, they probably have some if I could swing by there on the way home. But I'm walking around all these aisles for maybe 15 minutes. And I was like, where's the pumpkin beer? They said, yeah, we sold out our last bottle. Not even like a six-pack, our last bottle of pumpkin beer a week ago. (laughs) So even if you told me two days ago, it wouldn't have mattered. So I had to go on a scavenger hunt to find something to make this episode work. And people are not going to like this. It's a no pumpkin IPA. (laughs) So there's no... It literally is a, it has a pumpkin on the front. There's no pumpkin in it. It's from Sloop Brewing. We've had this on here a few times from New Hampshire, Hampton, New Hampshire, and Junction, New York. I think it's brewed in both places. Six and a half percent. It's actually a really good IPA, but I had to find something to keep the theme intact. So, is there any underlying flavor of anything, or does it just taste like your standard IPA? Brewed without any pumpkin or spices for 100%. <laughs> That's what it says on the can. I'm not joking. With Without any pumpkin. But actually, if you threw some pumpkin in this, the problem is with like all these IPAs now, you can't throw that kind of stuff in there. And I don't know if pumpkin holds up very well in cans and things like that. So, uh, so apologies. I don't have one, but I have a pretty good no pumpkin IPA. And just as a forewarning, 
My next drink is also not a pumpkin <laughs> beer, but I try to do my best to get something that would feel festive. How's that? Thanksgiving. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things. One, yeah, pumpkin in the beer. I've done it the reverse where we carve out a pumpkin and then fill it with beer. And I've mentioned that on the podcast, me and my cousin do it every Thanksgiving. And so this year I'm going to do yinling because that has seemed over the years to work the best because you want a beer that has a decent lager flavor, but isn't overpowering. And I tried the Sam Adams Boston lager and that worked okay. But when we did yinling a few years back, the pumpkin really came through. You throw a little nutmeg, you throw a little clove in there. But yeah, I put a spout into the pumpkin and then we fill it up, let it sit for like two hours, put the spices in. And then uh, drain it. And it kind of comes out like a cream ale because the carbonation is gone. Yes. <laughs> More or less, it's definitely lower. But it tastes really good. I will just and add with that regard to- everybody's going to love that because the funniest part of what you just said is you got to take a beer that has the least amount of flavor that's still a lager. <laughs> and then that's the one that's going to absorb the flavor that you're going for. Well, yeah, because you want to taste it. But it's funny because you could do it with Bud Light, but that would be like so little flavor. Like you need some type of lager malt to grab the pumpkin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So so, you just grab the weakest lager malt that there is. And it's the longest (laughs) brewed one in the United States, evidently, that uh, has the least flavor. So I'm proud of you. An interesting note. And now we're we're going way off the trail. But Yinling is the America's oldest brewery. However... Lager, which is their fo- most famous beer, isn't that old. Yeah. It's only like from the early 90s. Yeah. And when they came out with it, it was like a big deal. But, uh, and actually, I'm going to fact check all of that after the episode, <laughs> but we'll we'll see. We're having, and I we're did having, tell you, we're having fun this time because we're so <laughs> depressed from this loss. <laughs> I did tell you two months ago and our listeners to go buy your pumpkin beer now and put it in the fridge because it will be gone by now. That was the so, funniest part. I went to Norm's and I'm, I'm Norm's has a billion and I now I officially called them out. Uh, they have a billion beers and I walk in, they all know me. I, I walk in and there's no pumpkin beer. And I sat there thinking for like a few minutes, holy crap. Pete was right. They actually sell out of pumpkin beer. I didn't even know that was a thing. And just so we got granted, it's the end of October. So, you know, it's it's getting pretty late in the season. (laughs) We're ready for all those November porters to come out. So I want to get into this Louisville game. But first, I did want to mention that Nick Anderson, the kid that made the three interceptions for Wake, got put on scholarship today. (laughs) Uh, He's a he was a true freshman walk on as was mentioned many times in the game, after the game, and now he's no longer a walk-on. He is a scholarship player. <laughs> well, luckily, if we go back to divisions next year, we won't have to hear that name against Virginia Tech for a little bit. But uh, if we go no divisions, that might not be the case. So well, I'm happy for him, I guess. But Yeah, he's a Centerville kid, actually. Uh, so yep. Virginia kid and obviously wanted to just a chance to play and Listen, I wish it didn't come at our expense, but always happy to see these hard-working hard walk-on guys get a scholarship. I agree. All right, let's move to Louisville. Saturday, 10-24, 4 p.m. in Louisville. We're going on the road again, back-to-back weeks. This is our first meeting in ACC play. We last played them. Do you know when this was? I have no clue. It's the January 2006 
bowl game. This was the Marcus Vick stomping game. Oh no! Well, okay, here we go. (laughs) But we did, but we did beat them in that in that bowl. Yes. Before that, it was 1992 the last time we played them. So haven't played Louisville often, even though they are a conference foe. And last year, they went eight and five and beat Mississippi State in their bowl game, coming off of a two-win season in 2018. They had a tremendous turnaround by Scott Satterfield, and he's now in his second year. But he deserves a lot of credit for pulling that program out of the depths from where Petrino left it. It's pretty incredible. Not that it would take that much to get players enthused about football when you get rid of Petrino. You pretty much could have put a corpse back there and uh, or on the sideline, and people would be more excited or at least not get yelled at and screamed at as much as Petrino is known to do. So he has done a great job, and everybody thought he would be a great fit for the program. It started a little bit slower this season than I think they were expecting. I was expecting big things from them, but... Um, but they're they're good. A solid team, much much better than they were when Petrino left. They are two and four this year, though, and like you said, a, a little bit of an odd start. We both thought they were going to be closer to the top of the ACC, and maybe, and when this crazy season is all over, they will be. Who knows? But they're one and four in ACC play right now, and they lost to Miami and Notre Dame. No shame in those two losses, but they also lost to Georgia Tech and Pitt. Um, and Pitt's not having a very good season right now. Last week, they beat FSU 46-16. to So maybe they're getting on track because you combine that beatdown with the performance they put up against Notre Dame, they're starting to look better. Those two games are really impressive. And FSU, not so much, but they gave Notre Dame a run for its money. And Notre Dame may have figured out their kind of footing in the college football season, but they're looking pretty good now too. So... That looks like a, I know, a a loss, but a pretty good loss, I think, in that. And the reason they played well the last two weeks is because of their quarterback, Malik Cunningham. And the strength of Louisville is the offense. So let's concentrate on that first. Malik is six foot one, 200, nearly 1,400 passing yards, nearly 63% completion, 12 TDs, tack on three more rush TDs, so 15 total TDs, just five interceptions, 150 rating, and a 78.6 QBR. But the crazy thing is, those efficiency numbers are actually down from last year. <laughs> and he was so good in his few starts last year, similar similar to Hendon Hooker and how he kind of came in later in the year and started surprising everyone. Uh, but the last two games, he's ratcheted up, it up a bit. Yeah, he went for the FSU game, 16 for 24, two touchdowns, no interceptions, you can say what you will against Florida State, but you know they have a relatively good defense, and you know they've had a couple a couple games that they've started to look like they have some spirit behind them and a little bit of motivation. I I was really high on Cunningham coming into this season, mostly because of what he showed during his limited time last season. It's started a little slow, but sixty three percent completion percentage and almost fourteen hundred yards it it's not that bad and he does have five interceptions but you know I think he's being efficient with the ball eight point four average you know per completion it's it's not too shabby it's not great but it, it's it's good yeah what I expected from him this year is what he's done the last two weeks because he put up back to back ninety four qbr performances 
against FSU, 191 and a half passer rating. Yep. So he, he was balling the last two weeks, averaging 6.4 yards per carry in those two games as well. And just one sack from the offensive line on 43 pass attempts the last two weeks. And that's going up against Notre Dame in one of those two weeks. And you know FSU has studs on the D-line. And there was one sack on 43 pass attempts. The previous four games, they had given up 14 sacks. So this offensive line seems to have found itself. And that is scary to me. You look at their offensive S&P. They're now sitting at 13. Yeah. We have a little bit of a uh, Spider-Man pointing and pointing here because beyond that, Hawkins, 116 attempts for 693 yards, six TDs. He is just he's he's pretty much aligned with our running back that we feel like is like the next coming of of Virginia Tech football right now. 16 carries for 174 yards against FSU uh, and three TDs in that game. 11 yards per rush. Yeah, We've seen those stats from one other person, and his only name is Herbert. Yeah, he blew up last week, uh, and he's averaging almost six yards a carry on the season. And he's only sophomore, too. Like, he's got a lot of speed. Uh, I'm I'm afraid of that. Preseason yeah. All-ACC, first team, I believe. So this was not someone that came out of nowhere. Like there were predictions that he, he would be really good. And Javion Hawkins is, is very, very good. They're 26 nationally in yards per rush. And Hassan Hall, his backup didn't play versus FSU, but he's over five yards a carry too. We'll see if he plays this week. Cause he's also a very good return man for them. Yep. However, the senior Maurice Bunkley, he filled in last week and he had nine yards a carry yeah. on seven carries. Yeah, so they're doing damage. So they, they've they've got capable backs uh, besides Hawkins, but uh, I would be nice if if Hall couldn't play again this week. Yeah, that that would be nice, but it's not just capable backs. There's a guy named Tutu Atwell that I think we all know yeah. pretty well in the wide receiving core. He's an absolute monster. Right? Thirty-two yeah. receptions. He's a monster. At 165 pounds or whatever he is. Yeah, he's so fast. 450 yards on his 32 receptions, 14-yard average on those five TDs. And last week he had just three receptions, right? And it wasn't that big of a game. No, he had 129 yards in that game. Two total TDs in that FSU game, and he's up to six total in the year. Des Fitzpatrick, the senior wide receiver, he's a little bit of the bigger target, 6'2", 210. 17 receptions for him on the year, 285 and a touchdown. And then you got Ford, you got Smith, who's averaging 21 yards a catch in Smith. Yep. Um, and then the, uh, the other tight end, Pfeffer. So Ford's a tight end, and he has 18 receptions, which, which is a pretty good number. That's three catches a game from one tight end. And then the other one has five receptions, but Pfeiffer has two touchdowns. Yep. So they will utilize these tight ends in the end zone. Between the two of them, that's half of Cunningham's touchdowns goes to the tight ends yeah it's pretty pretty brutal and then their kicker is six of eight the only two misses that he has are beyond 50 yards that's why i was joking it's look at this their wide receivers are probably more talented than ours they have a running back that is equally (laughs) as talented and they have a quarterback that's absolutely on par with ours it's literally two offenses looking at each other being like well, we're we're pretty well, much just equally as good. 
I think that is a huge compliment to our offense because I think that Malik Cunningham, from a passing perspective, mm-hmm. is way superior. Now, if you took in his running and Hooker's running, I still think Malik comes out on top uh, from the total package, but it's much closer if you factor in Hooker's read option game. Yeah. But yeah, this is a very dangerous, dangerous offense. I didn't think their offensive line was very good because you look at 64th in sacks allowed and 93rd out of 101 in tackles for loss allowed. But the last two games, like I said, they've been playing a lot better. So are those stats as valid? I I kind of don't think so. Yeah, I would agree with that. But it's 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 tough to tell. And I, I would agree with you that they have a better passing attack. I think that's also because of it's tough with Atwell and Fitzpatrick. I mean, Atwell is a tremendous. I mean, Atwell talent. is Atwell is our old Ford, and our when Cam Phillips yeah. was like, you know, really, really doing it, and and maybe better than them. Exactly. So watch but, this guy catch the ball on Saturday. I mean, yeah. it it like it, it's impressive to watch. Yeah, and then they have Fitzpatrick. They got Smith, as you said, and Ford. It's it's tough. I think he has really good targets. I think that's where the difference is. is that's a good point. Is he has really good targets that can get open in space or can go up for the ball. And I I think we have that as well. We have, don't have as many, but I think we have not nearly as much high end talent as they do. But we do have talent, and they got to learn to to play like these guys. It might be might be a coaching clinic that we're about to see here on what it's supposed to be to be a wide receiver or a tight end for Virginia Tech. And and they're in year two of their running back as well. And we just got Herbert, and the offensive line had to grow up for us. So there are some differences. But yes, strong running backs, quality quarterbacks who can run with their feet, and some decent weapons. We have Turner and and Robinson and Mitchell, and they have Atwell and Fitzpatrick and yeah. three more guys. <laughs> yeah. A little bit more depth. I think that's the, yeah. the difference right now, at least from what we've shown. I'm not saying that we don't can't become that, but what they've shown is they have a little bit more depth. Yeah. So overall on offense, Cunningham's a good QB who can run, a lot of skill talent, a, a mistake-prone offense in a way because they have lost seven fumbles this year. Yep. Uh, that's 97th in the NCAA, uh, but they are very good on paper. And that, that, that 13 in S&P Plus, really, it scares the crap out of me. Yep. Let's move to their defense. This side is definitely the weaker side, 88th in the S&P Plus, 52 in yards per play, and 62 in points per defensive drive. So they, they're definitely on the lower half of FBS pretty much as a unit. Um And they're 13th in the ACC in yards per play given up in the conference games only. So they've given up a lot of yards per play when you compare it to the other ACC teams. Um, The only thing is we're one of the two teams that's worse than them. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's about right. 68th in rush defense. Virginia Tech is 73rd. They're 100th in long rush plays. Virginia Tech's 86th. So guess what? We've we've stopped the long rush a little bit better than them. Um, But Yes, they, they're just a little bit bit 30th in pass defense, and we're 61st. So long story short, they're they're doing a little bit better on that side of the ball. Yeah, it's it's weird because the SMPs are way different. Mm-hmm. Like we're 33rd on D, they're 88th. Yeah. And that's that is the metric. That's the one I trust it the most. Yep. Like I trust the S P plus the most because it takes into account who you've played 
and not just the results. It, it takes in everything into account right. and it kind of dismisses turnovers to a degree as well. And so you, you do that and we're like 50 positions higher than them on defense. So that makes me feel good. They play a three, four and it shows in the stats. Their top four tacklers are all linebackers on the D line. They've got experience, but little production. The only guy that's really producing is the senior nose tackle, Jared Goldwire. He's six foot six, 305. Yeah. That, that is big, very scary. That's a big boy. <laughs> compared to our defensive tackles. Yeah, that could be that could be dangerous. I I didn't have much in terms of that position. Their linebackers are scary as hell though. I mean, they have yeah. they go four to I think it's probably even five deep um on people that can could probably start for them. Um with Avery, Montgomery, Etheridge, Abdullah even uh, it's it's they're good. Yeah, I think Abdullah was either a starter last year or projected to be a starter, and he's he's not even playing as much, but he's a he's a very good reserve from what I understand. And has two forced uh, fumbles in, as right. a reserve. Two sacks and two forced fumbles, yeah. And they're, they're not getting the production from that D-line, but they're definitely getting it from the linebackers. And Avery, Montgomery, and Etheridge, those are the three guys. Those, those yeah. are studs, man. Etheridge has nine and a half tackles for a loss on the year. It leads the team. Montgomery has the most sacks on the team with four. That's more than anyone on our team has. And Avery's the leading tackler on the team and three tackles for loss, three pass breakups. So they all have their different strengths. And when you have four linebackers, you you have to be dynamic. And usually that would indicate a strong rush D. And the beauty of it is they're actually worse against the rush than they are against the pass, which bodes very well for us. And it's a little counterintuitive when it comes to the three, four. Yeah. It's counterintuitive because you have to put yourself in the right position. And I think our offensive scheme actually plays very well to that, to put people out of position. Um, whether it's the, the jet sweep, I would like to see, and I know people are going to hate this, but you know, some more passes out into the flat, things like that, that will shake up and spread the the linebackers out a little bit. But I do think it bodes well for us if we can give Hooker a little bit more time in the pocket and let him kind of go through his progressions, get comfortable, uh, as so long as the offensive line does their job, obviously, and they, they pass protect better than they did last week. In the back, they're pretty solid. Keytrail Clark is a very good corner. You got Anthony Johnson. They both are putting up good pass breakup numbers. Uh Russ Yeast and Isaiah Hayes at the safety positions, both throwing up a bunch of solo tackles. And then you got other guys like Character and Jones with pass breakup. I mean, it's a good it's a good defensive backward. I mean 38th and opposing passer rating, I think you said that. Uh, it's not gonna be easy to pass on these guys. I did notice that Clark missed the Georgia Tech game. He's listed as questionable, at least in one place that I was looking for our game. I, I would assume he's going to play. I tried to read up on it. Seems like he's going to play, and he played well last week. So th- they're going to be tough to deal with in the back. I'm hoping we can get our run game going, but it's going to depend on how well Hoffman and the two guards bounce back from last week because this nose tackle, Goldwire, he- he's the only defensive lineman with a sack. He's got one sack, but he's a monster. Yeah. All right, and he's going to be a tough matchup for Brock, and he's going to have to bring his A game. I think the 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 double team from the offensive line, and then getting to the second level, 
for, you know, the, the tackles is really going to be important and how they're schemed out is if we can't get to the second level and take care of some of these linebackers, we're going to be in big, big trouble that that's really, I think where we're going to make our hay in this game. If they come off and we're chippy, but not stupid and really push people around, get off, you know, the right block at the right time, get to get to the linebacker level, get to the second level and really open up windows. I think that's going to be a huge part of this game is subduing what they have is a, a really good tight linebacking core. And I think that's something to watch in this game. I, I like the fact that we're bouncing off of a game where the offensive line didn't play as well and they're still ranked high in the country based on almost every metric that you can find or every ranking out there. But One bad game doesn't erase exactly, all the good that they did. Exactly. So if they can, if they can get off, you know, block well and then get to the second level, I think that is going to determine a lot of what's going to happen in this game, at least for the Virginia Tech offense. And to Brock's credit, he did really well week one against Aleem McNeil the nose tackle from NC State. So let's hope there's a similar level of success in this game. Defensively, they're giving up 187 rush yards per game. That's 68th out of 101. Let's get this run game back on track. Let's make sure the blocking up front and on the outsides is better than it was last week. Because even though the tackles played better than the inside, Dershaw still made a few mistakes, uncharacteristic mistakes. But he he had some plays that if he makes... I mean, it's just that's what it was against Wake. Is it was just like a hair, like of difference in plays, and we could have had a touchdown on this play or this play, or a guy could have broken free on this play, and we were just that close the entire game. Yeah, and, and so we need that to get fixed. And Mitchell week. needs to play a tighter game. He's he's done really well in blocking, but get rid of the holds. Know where your running back's going to be. Know when he has his speed, and you don't need a hold. Every it's so funny. Everybody says everybody holds. It just depends on like where it is, what it is, and whether it interferes with the play. Pick your time that you want to do it and when it's actually going to matter. So we just got to be more headsy in this game. I think that's going to be really important. So quick question, beer break or overall keys to the game? Which one do you want to do first? Let's do overall keys to the game. I think I have mine written down. All right, go for it. Offensive line. Obviously, responding. I think they need to come out and play. I think they're going to play nasty this game. I think Hoffman's going to get them pretty fired up in the way that they play, but smart. Know, know the boundary that you can pick up to the line that we're going to get ourselves in trouble. The wide receivers are going to be key. We got to find some space somewhere, especially against these DBs. Find some space. Turner is actually had a, I went back and I watched the film. He's had some good games. We're using him now on the jet sweep. We're using these different places. He needs to take the next step. We need him as a downfield threat. We have Robinson that can go. We have Mitchell that's a big body. We need somebody else beyond that. And we thought it would be Gallo, and he has stepped up in some key places, but it hasn't been all the time. And guess what? That's also not a wide receiver. And keep the pressure off Hooker. We need... And I know this goes back to the offensive line, but Hooker needs some time to get settled in and just get ready to to get the ball released and throw it because 
I know you don't like the word rattled, so I won't use that, but it looked... You can use it if you it want. Looked, it just looked a little bit... He looked a little discomfort. Like when you're on your drive home from work and you know you got 45 more minutes, but you know you yeah. might have to go to the bathroom. He just looked a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> in that instance. Yeah. So I think the key to this game is... And I said this in the game in the previous or the recap, I'm sorry, of before it's the wide receivers right now and hookers passing is what's going to take this offense because the running game was still good, even with hooker having making bad reads sometimes and keeping the ball or not handing it off at the right times. It still looked good. That's still a lot of yards to put up. If we can't establish that pass game, in not like huge passes, but just something in it's going to really limit us. Yeah, if we it's can't just it, expand on. Yeah, it's going to be tough. So my keys: Fuente thirteen and five after a loss, twelve point positive margin against the spread after that loss, and that was from Sam Jesse on Twitter. And I saw that stat, and I like almost couldn't believe it. And I I went back and I looked it up, and it, it checks out: thirteen and five after a loss and 12 points positive against the spread in each of those games. So on average, um, I do think that this game comes down to more of a resilience and a bounce back than it does to the stats. And, and you can look at all the stats you want. We did it against wake. It doesn't always matter. You know, you, you can, they can be doing this on offense. They can be doing this on defense, but you get out there into the matchup and all of a sudden, your offensive line isn't as strong as you thought it was. And so I'm hoping that our effort, based on what we've heard about the Sunday practice and the guys responding really well, you know, tap put out like the, the tape doesn't lie, we're going to go through it. I think we're going to be okay. I think they're going to come out, they're going to play a tough game. I don't necessarily think that that means we're going to win, but I think we're going to play hard. It's going to be a competitive game. And I predict a, a little bit of back and forth in this one because they've got a really good offense. And I know we've been good against the pass when we've had our full deck. I mean, when Diablo's in the game, uh, the defense has been pretty solid. And so this is a much stiffer test than last week. I would expect them to put up 30-ish points. As long as the offensive line for us comes to play and Hooker uh, plays a little bit more in control. He doesn't He doesn't have that moment where he skips the pass. If we can just get a little bit more out of him this game, I think we'll be fine. Like, like I said, his two worst games were against Wake. So maybe it's something that they were doing specifically that Louisville's not going to know. And on paper, this defense is worse than Wake, it, kind of significantly worse. And if we don't have our shortcomings in the red zone and we don't turn it over uh, two times at critical moments, uh, I think that we'll be able to put up our 30, 35, 40 points in this game. I would agree with all that. I would say with Hooker, to your last point, I think the interesting part is when you rely on the run, uh, my inclination is to think in any other sport that you're taking away from what he needs to be doing because Herbert needs to be running the ball at, at the end of the day. That, that, that's the intent. And then Hooker is supposed to be the alternative to running the ball. So I feel like he's putting a lot of pressure on his shoulders through running the ball, which he did a lot in that game. And he did very, very well. He absolutely did. But 
now it's time to like kind of reset and you're a quarterback re kind of get back into that feel of throwing the ball, getting comfort with your, and they didn't have, they didn't have a lot of practices together. They didn't play together a lot, getting that comfort back together with Robinson, with Mitchell, getting that comfort that I can put it up there. They'll either go get it or they'll tip it and it'll go out of bounds. I think is extremely uh, important in this game. And this is why Fuente is the coach and I'm not is because he probably realized this about hooker that he might have issues throwing the ball because of our wide receivers, because of his practice schedule, because he didn't have an off season to get any better in that department really. And so, yes, I think that he didn't see hookers passing as a huge upgrade over Burmeister's passing. I still think that it's an upgrade, but I think Fuente knew and now that we see that it it's not that much of an upgrade. Yeah. And or so, it could be that much of an upgrade. They but they have to take reps and they have to feel comfortable with each other. Right. And that right. the only thing that have. does that is time or and mm-hmm. time or reps or being an elite quarterback, which you know, there's only a couple of those in the nation. VT is three and a half point favorites in this game on the road. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess I like the fact that we're three-point favorites. It, if, if we were, would you rather be three-point favorites or three-point underdogs? underdogs. You know, I, I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> after, after that game, this game is all about just coming out and being, sorry to say it again, methodical. Attack methodical in the way that you're going about your business. Being the underdog, knowing that you have the ability, pulling, you know, Upsetting Penn State, like we just saw, which was outrageous. Indiana, I'm, I'm sorry for another aside, but we're trying to make this a fun podcast. What happened in that Penn State game and letting the play go, like how much like discipline oh, yeah. that takes as like somebody to like like say we're not gonna we're gonna let him score a touchdown. Do you know what yeah, that? What, takes? what Robbie's referring to is Indiana let Penn State score. If you didn't watch it, they basically let them score a touchdown. I believe it was Devin Ford yes. that scored that touchdown. He right? fell into the basically fell into the end zone. But my, my point being is that that those sorts of things, like you have to be very methodical and comfort in your zone. And we had that. We honestly did like with all the COVID stuff, we just kind of boxed it all in and we just went out and said, what we're going to prove on the field is what we are. And we got away from that. We got away from, we made it emotional. We made it about something more than just like coming out and doing your business. So all I care about is going out and doing our business, even in a loss. I don't care if we lose, just come out, do your business, keep a clean game and, you know, play and develop is, is all I can ask for. And that point about the line and rather you'd rather be an underdog. You mentioned to me this week, like, what are they playing for? Like, how do you get this team motivated? And being an underdog could be motivation. Uh, We play Liberty in a week. That's an in-state rivalry. There's motivation. Miami's going to be ranked when you play them. There's motivation. But going on the road and playing a Louisville team who's not very good and you just lost – how do you get this team fired up to play? And that's where the coaching comes in. Yeah. And we will see what Foo is made of this week and how we can motivate this team because a lot of people think we don't have a chance at the ACC championship. And admittedly, like it's not looking good at this point to get into the game. So 
you need to create motivation for these guys to stay focused. And and I think Fu can do it. And I and I do think there's just a normal level of pride in a football player that wants to go out there, play hard, and win. They don't want to lose. That's that could be all the motivation you need for some guys. But other guys need more than that. Yeah. I think Vance Vice can do it with the offensive line by saying, You guys sucked. Guess what? You you know, you don't get to do the Japanese You think you're hot shit, yeah. Vice Squad. Yeah. And <laughs> And not that that's true necessarily, and we all know that's not true. They're, we have an amazing offensive line, but giving them motivation to go out and and bully, then that's what you know. That's what they need to to do in this game. That's what the best coaches do. Saban sandbags his team every single week. Yeah. It's like they they can beat someone fifty two nothing. He's in the press conference talking about all the things they did wrong and how much they need to improve, and that that's what you do. So yeah. If if Vice needs to uh, to dog cuss some people this week to, to get their them riled up, then that's what he's got to do. All right, let's take a beer break before we do our picks. Robbie, I'll let you go first this time. What are you drinking over there? So I told you I couldn't get any pumpkin beer, so I tried to get something, I guess, festive. It's actually pretty good. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. Uh, it's a three notched. It's from Charlottesville. <laughs> I know I've been drinking a lot of Three Notch, but it was the only thing I could find that actually would equate. It's an apple crumble amber ale. This is amazing. It is really yeah. It's it's kind of I don't know if you drink cider with you know a little bit of rum in it every once in a while, like a hot cider. I did it last week actually, dude. <laughs> that that's what this beer tastes like. It's pretty darn good. It's a limited release. Apple crumble, amber ale. I know it's from Charlottesville, but get over yourself. Nobody cares. It's 5.4%, 24% IBU. And I'll take one more sip. Yeah, it's that it's it's pretty delicious. You're having dessert over there. And see, that's the Thanksgiving-ish theme that we're doing. We're doing pumpkin, we're doing Thanksgiving theme. Yes. You have apple pie or apple crumb on Thanksgiving, so there you go. And it's an ale, so it's not an IPA or anything that I'd normally drink on here. So it's a it's a true ale. I actually have that in my fridge, six pack. Have not opened it yet because I got it at Dominion when I went through and I picked up a, a bunch of beer. So I just like put a, a lot of it, and that looked like a holiday beer. So I just like. I'll get to it in November or December. So I'm very happy to hear that you like it. Cause if you like it, it means I'm probably going to love yeah, it. It's pretty good. <laughs> I'm drinking the evil genius trick or treat chocolate pumpkin Porter evil genius. Uh, most people know about this one. They make very good beer for the most part. They have the, sometimes they're funny names. Sometimes they're stupid names, but this one's just called the trick or treat. And it is a chocolate pumpkin Porter. And I'll say that the chocolate, comes through a lot more than the pumpkin if i was just drinking this with no label i don't think i would know it was pumpkin i would just know that it's a porter have you had this one on the podcast i have before? not because you've had a few evil geniuses yep. over the years pits pittston pennsylvania evil genius beer company 7.8 percent alcohol i will say it doesn't taste like 7.8 percent alcohol but it also doesn't really taste like a pumpkin beer but I'm enjoying it. Like I said, it's it's getting into the colder weather porter season. So evil genius trick or treat. I would give it a try, see what you think, but I'm not getting a whole lot of pumpkin more chocolate on this one. All right. Let's hop into these picks. We got a handful of ACC games, 
We'll start with BC at Clemson. And I didn't mention this last week, but we didn't pick the Syracuse-Clemson spread because it was just too ridiculous. It was 46 points last week. And of course, Syracuse covered, because what does Syracuse do? They play Clemson tough. Yep. That's (laughs) their game. You know, and they were in that game, too, until the scoop and score for Clemson. Yeah. And then it it obviously went the other way. And I don't think Syracuse is going to win, but they were keeping it tight, and they definitely covered. This week, you got the high-flying BC Eagles with that pass attack going to South Carolina. Um, What do you think about the 31.5-point spread? It's big. I'm going to take Clemson. It is, yeah, big but not big enough for you. <laughs> you like the you like the favorite. Uh yeah, that that bounce back is attractive. Um in this case, I'll take the dog at 31 and a half. Robbie's going with Clemson. Next game, Wake at Syracuse. Syracuse, 10 and a half point underdogs in the dome. I'm going to Wake. Yeah, I'm gonna go Wake too. <laughs> Syracuse kept it tight against Clemson, but I think Wake is good enough to come down off the victory against us and still cover Syracuse is like a hundred and something in the S and P it's unbelievable how bad they are next game Notre Dame at Georgia Tech Georgia Tech nearly 20 point underdogs 19 and a half in Atlanta this is another one of those road favorites we were talking about I'll go first this time I'll take Georgia Tech I know Notre Dame turned it on against Pitt last week. Again, can't get a Pitt pick, right? Never will. And it's never going to happen again on the podcast. Fortunately, Pitt's not playing this week, so I don't have to pick. You're good. (laughs) But I'm going to go with Georgia Tech to cover 19 and a half. Uh, I I don't really have a good logical reason for this. I picked the same. So uh, I think Notre Dame's going to come down a little bit, their reality. Yeah, and, and Georgia Tech has been defending the run decent. So, go with that. UNC at UVA. UVA, plus six and a half at home. They are one and four right now. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is crunch time for UVA, but the crazy thing is I think they could win this game outright. Well, they I played really well do. last week. They did. Uh, I'm going to go with UVA to cover. I'm going UNC. I think UNC, okay. you like- hopefully... Well, not hopefully, but unlike us. It's less than a touchdown, yeah. so it's hard not to take UNC. My, my whole thing is, like, all these games really, really matter if you're going to try and make a shot for, like, number two. And seeing what happened to us last week probably is a wake-up call for UNC. That's, like— It could be. You can't you can't screw around. Two losses, well, two lo- has- two losses will take you out, like, basically. Yeah. UNC has UVA this week, and in a couple weeks they have Notre Dame and then Miami, yes. or or reverse. I don't know which way, but that's three decently tough games. The Notre Dame and Miami game, obviously very tough. They could lose both of those, yep. so they can't afford to lose to UVA. Exactly, like they they really need to beat UVA, and, and they probably will. But I'm going to take UVA against this. Program. All right, LSU at Auburn. Jesus, going outside this the game. ACC, Auburn. Goodness. <laughs> Dude, so last week, LSU, they, they proved me wrong. They came out. They played well. Uh, Auburn is another team I don't trust. They are touched by God, I swear. Since the national championship year uh, and the 2013 year when they went back to the national championship to play FSU, they just always seem 
to have the horseshoe stuffed up their butts. Incredible. And now they're th- they're three point underdogs at home. It's kind of begging for an in a normal year. Auburn at home getting points is a great play, but it's not a normal year. It's not full fans. LSU played better. They both have two losses, so they both really need a win. I'm very torn on this. I'll go with the horseshoe. I'm going with Auburn. Yeah, I thought you were going to go LSU. I have Auburn. I almost did. I almost I have, did. I have Auburn. It's I, LSU's a bad team. They're trying to get it together, but yeah. I mean, this this game is is, and I don't mean to because the co- well, actually, I'm allowed to say that because the coastal everybody says it's trash. This game is trash. Like literally trash. Uh, terrible. Football. Well, whoever loses, their season is done. No, like, whoever loses, their coach is going to be. That, LSU just won a national championship, so obviously not. But this could be, if we're both wrong, this could be the Gus uh, goodbye right here. It yeah, could be. It depends on how, how they play it. But, yeah, I'm going to take Auburn. Uh, we'll see. Next game, Texas at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's still undefeated. They did beat Iowa State, but Iowa State covered. Yes. Uh, I I like Oklahoma State to cover three and a half in this game. I have Oklahoma State, and, and mostly because I just want them to do well. Like I'm, I, at this point, I'm just rooting for smaller name teams to try and like make a run for it, and. I have no beef against Oklahoma State, so I'm I'm gonna root for them to try and you know keep up you know, their undefeated. Does that line? What was that? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That that line does it seem too tight to you? Three and a half. I would I would have thought, but Texas is have two losses, so I I would pick Oklahoma State. Maybe you're thinking the other way. I would have picked Oklahoma State by like six in this game that's what but, i'm saying yeah that, like i i would have thought it would be a bigger spread so that i think it's up against the ropes for that does concern me yeah. about the pick yeah. because i think it's too tight of a spread but i'm still gonna go with oklahoma state last game we're gonna pick ohio state at penn state this got a little bit of the steam taken out of it because of the big indiana win which was just a wild game there were so many things you got james franklin not kneeling on the football when he basically could have ended it or given it back to given it back to yeah. Indiana with like 12 seconds left, or something like yeah. or I don't know what goal. he it was it was I don't honestly. know what he does at the end of games to like screw things up but he he definitely figures out a way they are 12 and a half point underdogs to what some consider to be the best team in college football at home in the covid year yeah, they don't get the white out this time. It is 12 and a half point underdogs for Penn State at home. I'm going Ohio State. Yeah, me as well. This is a pretty easy decision. I mean, that they have to be so dejected after that game trying to get up that loss to Indiana. This was a potential playoff team that if things play out the way we think they're going to, they just they just threw their playoff hopes. Yeah, I mean, this dream. is going to be two losses if they if they lose. Well, to not, not even that. Even if they win, I mean, even if they win this game, they're probably going to have another loss somewhere in the season. And with yeah, that loss probably. to Indiana, they're probably out. I, it's 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 pretty brutal. And the way that I know Wisconsin just lost their um, their quarterback, I think is is out for a bit because of COVID. But Wisconsin looks yeah. really good, and Wisconsin looks they're good. they're they might be in. They might be in deep shit. That was a, that was a bad. If, in, if Virginia Tech wants to feel better this week, think about what Penn State feels like this week. 
Yeah. I, I, it's funny you say that. Cause I was texting with my uncle who's a Penn Stater after the game and we were just going through both of our games and like, didn't play well enough to win, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the crazy thing about Penn state is they kind of did play well enough to win. Yes. They just let their coach and their play calling and everything else and weird stuff screw it up. And yeah, their season is in serious jeopardy. Now they could easily be Owen two, And they're, and like you said, they'll probably drop another one at some point to you know, someone else on their schedule. I don't even know what their schedule looks like right now, but that was a huge bummer, they have especially Michigan going down into the road. This. I know they play Michigan, so okay, okay, yeah. And Michigan looked good. <laughs> you had Wisconsin's quarterback looking awesome, and now going into a 21-day COVID protocol. However, I think their whole game this week against Nebraska might be canceled. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. Although I think they could have beaten Nebraska without Graham Mertz anyway. <laughs> it's I don't like rooting for Wisconsin, but they could beat people with anybody. Like, it doesn't really matter. The, the quarterback really doesn't matter. That's just what makes them even better. It's just, yeah, we have the biggest offensive linemen that are the most powerful in the entire country every year. Yeah. I think Penn State just lost their running back yes. to injury, and that was their second string running back because the first string running back opted out, right? Yep. That's right. So yeah, Journey Brown and Noah Kane are both out. So now Devin Ford, our guy, <laughs> the guy we wanted from Virginia, is uh, he's their starting running back, and he's now. the reason that they lost the game. <laughs> and he's the reason they lost to Indiana because he scored <laughs> a touchdown when uh, he shouldn't have. But anyway, it's incredible. If if, if anybody right, so hasn't you... gone back and looked at that game, and if he listened to a couple, the Yahoo podcast is pretty good. They like I put Ford talks about it, and he did like a lot of analytics on it. And I'm not promoting them, but just when he broke down all of the things that had to go right for Indiana to win that game, it's incredible. The only thing it more unbelievable was uh, Rice and the field goal kick that hit the pole four times. That That is the only thing more amazing than that Indiana, uh, you know, win in the, that happened this past weekend. Yeah. At least we're not Penn Staters this week. Let's yes. <laughs> let's hold on to that because that is, they had a tough day, a tough tough day. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for the podcast. I'm interested to see how these road favorites shake out this week. If we'll see a little change in the trend of that 27 and 11 home victories, because I certainly hope us to be the 12th. Because I think we can beat Louisville. I, I. From the spread perspective, I like the fact that we're favored. From the team motivation perspective, I'd prefer we be one or two-point underdogs, obviously. But when you see the Vegas line, sometimes that gives you a hint of how it might play out. Not all the time, but sometimes. Yeah, I think I'm coming into this game thinking it's going to be a shootout to the very end. I think I yes. feel like this is going to be a shootout to the fourth quarter. So I will love it if the game's over early and we're in the lead and we feel good, but I would not, I would prepare yourself no. to have a lot of whiskey or bourbon around you into the fourth quarter for this game coming up this weekend. How's that? It's going to be what I, I'm predicting stressful. Yes. yes. I think it's going to be back and forth. I think it's probably going to be a three point or on the leg of a field goal kicker kind of game. And Hopefully, it's our good kicker and not their good kicker. Both teams, like you said, are, are a little bit of mirror images of each other. So I'm hoping that we will will come out on top. So until next week, when hopefully we're celebrating a big road victory, go Hokies. Go Hokies.